0: I feel like we've just lost common sense, period, yeah. as a country and a society where, you know, facts don't matter. I think we're really just a society, and it extends to the media as well, of cowardice, a lack of common sense, and just no morality. Like, there's no wrong versus right anymore. This is The Daily Signal podcast
1: for Thursday, November 30th. I'm your host, Rob Louie. And those were the words of Lisa Booth, a contributor to Fox News Channel and host of the Truth with Lisa Booth podcast. She's a familiar face from her frequent Fox appearances, but didn't start out with the plan to appear on television. Her career started in politics, serving as a spokeswoman for several members of Congress, as well as Tommy Thompson's campaign for the U.S. Senate and working for the National Republican Congressional Committee. We talk about her take on current events, why she became an outspoken critic of COVID hysteria, and why authenticity matters today. More than ever, but before we get to today's interview, I'd like to tell you about my good friend Jack Spencer's podcast, The Power Hour. Gas prices, electricity, hot water—all are part of our daily life, and all are impacted by decisions made here in Washington. Each week, Jack will talk about some of the nation's top issues with leading experts, bringing you the facts and breaking down energy and environment issues on his show, The Power Hour. Catch it on the Heritage Podcast Network under Herd at Heritage, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Lisa Booth is a contributor to Fox News Channel and host of The Truth with Lisa Booth. It's a podcast that I encourage you to subscribe to. She joins us in studio today. And Lisa, it's so good to see you.
0: Hey, Rob. It's so fun to be here in studio with you.
1: Absolutely. We last had the chance to visit at the Heritage Foundation's 50th anniversary celebration. Thank you for moderating that discussion with Dr. Larry Arn of the president of Hillsdale.
0: He is so funny. He is. Oh, that's hilarious. Rob, I was not anticipating that. I didn't realize he was that. I mean, I obviously knew he was a very smart man, but I didn't realize how funny he is. I had the best time with him. He had, the, he had an awesome sense of humor.
1: He did. I, I love that um, his phone went off <laughs> during your conversation <laughs> and he joked that he thought it was his wife yeah. because he knew <laughs> that he was having a conversation with you. So no, we, we love him and he's a member of the Heritage Foundation Board. So uh, appreciate his many contributions to the conservative movement and our organization.
0: Well, he's awesome. That was great. And that was such a good event too. I had the best time. Yeah. 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 It was a really, really
1: beautiful event. Fantastic. Uh, well. Let's start with talking uh, about your career. Uh, you joined Fox as a contributor in 2016. Obviously, the media landscape has changed quite a bit uh, in that, that time span. But how, what first led you down this path to get into media in the first place?
0: So I had started on Capitol Hill. So I started off as a staff assistant. So for anyone who's worked on Capitol Hill, you're basically, and if, you know, you understand if you haven't worked on Capitol Hill... That position, you're essentially answering phones, you're taking constituent messages and passing that on to the member of Congress. Uh, you're doing flag requests. So I used to like to say I was saving the world one flag request at the time. It's a very like beginner. It's like your entry point into Capitol Hill, outside of an internship. So, got into you know Capitol Hill, uh, worked for a few different members of Congress in the communications space. Worked at the NRCC. Uh, worked on some Senate races. Um, and when I was on a Senate race, my campaign manager called me into the office and he he told me, he said, Lisa, you're doing the spin room after the debate. And I was like, I've never done TV. I don't want to do it. I was so nervous. And I went out there and I just loved it. And so after that, I was like, at one point in the future, I do think I want to work in television. But I had never, I had never in a million years thought TV would be something that I would want to do. So it was it was kind of by happenstance. And then after that, it was just by... Sheer force and determination to yeah. try to get into it.
1: Well, that that's great. I'm I'm so glad that that moment happened. And uh, and just last week, you had the opportunity to guest host Laura Ingram's show. So congratulations on on the the many different programs in which you appear on Fox. And uh, and obviously being in a in the hot seat like that uh, gives you a, a different perspective than just commenting on the news, but actually being the one who's driving the show and asking the guest questions.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I love doing all of it. You know, I, I mean, I, I do enjoy going on and. You know, talking about why things are important and why they're important to you and conveying that to the audience. But it is also really fun to be on the other side of it and to be able to ask questions. And, and I'm always curious. I always love learning. That's something I love about my podcast is I get to have all these smart people on, all these interesting people on. You learn so much from them. So I also love being on that side of it and learning from the people who come on. Uh, and then, you know, when I filled in for Laura, we had such great guests like Charlie Hurt, who's a, a great friend of mine, who's so smart, and Victor Davis Hanson, who I think is just like absolutely brilliant. Um, so yeah, so I, I've been really blessed to sort of experience these different sides of it, whether it's Capitol Hill and, you know, campaigns and, you know, that part of, of communications, and then now working you know, in television and in the media side of it as well.
1: Well, let's talk about your podcast. It's called "The Truth with Lisa Booth." Uh, what prompted you to start your own show? Obviously, it's a big endeavor.
0: So I got really frustrated during COVID. <laughs> for anyone, I who's... was going to ask you about this later, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah, so like for anyone who's been following me, uh, just because very early on I had read this op-ed in Stat News from Dr. John Ioannidis of Stanford. And he he basically the premise of the op ed was he thought COVID would end up being about as deadly as the flu. And we were making terrible policy decisions off of uh, you know, bad data. And and part of that bad data was the fact that we were really only testing people who were sick, who are showing up at the hospitals and, and, and dying. And so or the fatality rate was totally skewed. You know, because the fatality rate's a percentage of the overall population who has had it who dies. And We were missing cases in some instances, once we did the seroprevalence studies later, which was looking at who had the antibodies and who had previously had it, that we were missing cases by like 65 fold. And so I just thought from the beginning, right after the 15 days to slow the spread when the ed came out, he made the most sense. And, um, you know, so I I just, I was always sort of against the grain with everyone. And then I think I was, I believe I was the first person at Fox to come out and say, I'm not getting the vaccine, you know, very early on saying I wasn't going to get it, started articulating those points. So I just got frustrated that I didn't have my own outlet to have these conversations and interview these types of people and, you know, to have that space of exploring this other side and ended up being the right side, but not at the time was very dangerous. And so that was sort of what led me to being like, you know what, I want to have my own space to have the conversations that I want to have. And um, you know, even if everyone hates it, you know, like even if I'm gonna get, you know, the arrows from all different sides, I-, I just want my own space to be able to talk about the things that I think need to be discussed.
1: Yeah. No, I mean it's it's so true. At the at the time in twenty twenty Heritage launched what we called the National Coronavirus Recovery Commission. I remember to, talking to one of the doctors who served on this commission. He actually was a former White House physician who had some of the same points. And it was frustrating because it was so difficult to break through into this media environment, even among conservatives who seemed like they were lockstep with a certain orthodoxy or perspective. And to get them to, to think differently or even ask some of the tough questions of the Anthony Fauci's of the world was, was tough.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I guess I realized uh, how many people operate from fear mm. as opposed to facts. That was very eye opening for me and how many people allow themselves to be led by fear instead of being like, you know, what? should I be fearful? You know, why should I be afraid and, and really trying to kind of dig in on that? So that was surprising to me. And then also just seeing, you know. You see how these different points happen throughout society, and you know atrocities, and obviously we never got to anything you know really too crazy there. But there were at one point, I think Rasmussen did a poll, and half of Democrats or nearly half of Democrats wanted to put people like me in camps for not wanting to get the vaccine. And you know, there's people trying to make sure that we couldn't live a normal life. You mean you look at even in New York, right? New York City, you couldn't go out to restaurants. And we were, in the, and then you had Joe Biden. I believe it was before Christmas, telling people to avoid your unvaccinated family members, and you know the othering of people who didn't want to get the vaccine. And so, I think that was also part of the reason I felt so compelled to speak up during it, was that I, I just I saw this like ugliness and evilness, and I was like, this is just wrong, and it was also just wrong to to try to fire people for not wanting to get something that. One, wasn't in their interest if they were young and healthy and they weren't at risk. And then two, once we saw all these breakthrough cases, which just ended up being the norm, not outliers, it also wasn't in the public's interest. And then most vaccines have five to 10 years of safety data. So you're telling me this is not in my personal interest. It's not in the public's interest. It's not even going to stop me from getting or spreading it to other people. And I have no idea what this vaccine's going to do to me in the long term. But yet I have to get this or I'm going to lose my job. And then, mind you, all your all the first responders, if you're a nurse who used to be a hero or firefighter or a cop, all these people who had to work and couldn't stay home behind their laptops like everyone else, who got COVID, who then, you know, had some built-up immunity, then they have to get the vaccine. Otherwise, they're going to get fired. When they were out working and got sick because they were out working, it just, you know, the whole time, I mean, a lot of it was just nonsensical. I'm glad you guys did that. Um, but yeah, I just felt really fired up to just speak out during that period of time. Well,
1: thank you for doing it, and 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 also uh, members of the military who were discharged. I mean, because they refused um, and were. We we have a story at the Daily Signal this week about uh, Matt Lohmeyer. and he is one of the people who who spoke up about this and some of the challenges that that he encountered as uh, when he was serving
0: our, the country. I'm glad you brought up the military too. That's so that's an important story for you guys to do. So thank you for doing that.
1: And I know you're a, a big champion of Senator Tommy Tuberville's efforts. Um, I know that's only one piece of one of the many things that he's he's trying to raise with some of these military promotions and and asking some of the tough questions. I've been surprised, and I know you recently had a had a guest on your, your show, um, uh, Kelly Means, uh, talking about big pharma and some of the other. They are still aggressively promoting the COVID vaccine. Uh, the, the, these big pharmaceutical companies, and uh, and I know now there's a, there's an alternative. There's a protein-based shot that's not mRNA. So you know, uh, it's uh, it's really interesting to to see that uh, that continue even three years later uh, to be
0: so prominent in our lives. Well, it's strange too because I feel like a lot of it was. Virtue signaling, obviously, of people wanting to be able to say, "No, I'm not like them. I did the right thing. I got them." Which, you know, it's not the right thing, right? If you really dig in, but they were told it's the right thing, so this is what they've then decided to believe. I mean, and masks were like that too. You know, I had this couple who lives on my floor. Um, I highly doubt they listen to any conservative media, so they're not gonna they're not gonna hear this. But they would take their masks off while speaking to each other in the elevator. And I'm like, I actually have more respect for someone who just goes full crazy, and you know, like you fully embrace it all. Like you don't take the mask off, you hide in your right. Like if if you're gonna go crazy, at least commit. But it was so frustrating to see, you know, people like that, right? Like you're you're not afraid, you're taking it on and off. Like you have to realize that this is. Or I had a guy in my uh, building one time, and he he was going on and on about people not wearing masks, and so I just got so frustrated. I turned to him and was like, "Do you believe in the efficacy of masks?" He's like, "Of course I do. That's why I'm wearing it." I'm like, "Well, you're good. You're safe then." leave us alone. You yeah.
1: <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. And no, you're good. <laughs> it, got, it got so bad that,
1: that our family decided uh, to leave our church because they mm-hmm. refused to go back for, for in-person worship. And we found another church. Now, they were doing it outside, which I, you know, still was in the, in the middle of winter, not the most enjoyable thing. But I mean, at least they were gathering um, in, in person and, and and serving communion and things of that nature. So, yeah, I, I think that there are so many things. But here, three years later, you're still doing the show. You're still having many interesting guests. What do you look for when? you're having a guest on the program.
0: I just, I look for things that interest me, to be perfectly honest. It's really not more scientific than that. It's just conversations that I think should be had and people who I find interesting and topics that I find interesting. Like, you know, we'll range from, you know, like I have this guy, my most recent, uh, Seamus Bruner, and he has a book out called Controllogarchs. And it's how the Jeff Bezos, the Klaus Schwabs, the Soros of the world, how much control they have over our lives and um, so I just thought he was interesting, or you had mentioned Cali Means, I, what he has to say about the food industry, I find fascinating. So I had him on. So it really is just, or all of a member of Congress who I think is, you know, talking about something interesting. So because I, I feel like if you're interested in the person you're interviewing, and the things that they're saying, the interview is just going to be better. And the people at home are going to know that you care about it and you're invested and you want to hear what that person has to say.
1: Yeah, no, that's so true. Um,
0: what media sources do you rely on to get your news? Honestly, everything. So basically, you know what, at least in preparation for a show, you know, I'll kind of figure out what we're talking about. And then I'll just start Googling and start doing some research and start digging in. And then I'll try to figure out okay, you know, what do I believe about this issue? Why do I think this is important? And then I'll start trying to, you know, and then too, you know, obviously having worked in the media as we do, you're sort of always on kind of on top of some degree about what you're talking about. And then I'll start trying to pull some facts and statistics to sort of support, you know, the point I'm trying to drive home to the audience. Because, you know, as someone who's worked in polling, as someone who's, you know, worked in, in, you know, on Capitol Hill previously, I think it's really important to be able to represent your case with facts to back up what you're having, especially as conservatives. I mean, they're always looking to come after us, right? I mean, you're going to get killed if, if you have something incorrect. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, but, yeah. Media
1: Matters or somebody. Um, but what's your advice then to our listeners? Uh, it, it seems... Alarming to me that that I saw a recent uh, stat that, uh, particularly among younger Americans, they're increasingly relying on TikTok uh, to get their news. And as social media continues to you know be a dominant place that uh, that many of us spend our time, do you have any advice or guidance to to people who just go about navigating so many different
0: sources of information? So, I have conflicting viewpoints on TikTok, to be honest, because on the one hand, it's the devil. Right. And we know that China, I mean, if if you wanted to destroy a country internally, would you do anything different than China's with TikTok and poisoning the minds of the youth? Right. right. I mean, it's actually brilliant. Uh, I mean, they are indoctrinating or, or, or young people and doing it so successfully. And then they're going out and creating division, particularly with all this anti-Semitism and pro-Hamas stuff we're saying. So it's actually brilliant. But then the other side of that is There are so many, I think there's something like 150 million users per month or something like that on on TikTok, if my memory serves me correct. Um, A significant portion of younger people are are on it. And so the other side of me says, okay, I don't think this thing's ever going to get banned because Democrats rely on it too heavily, um, you know, for for turning out the vote and, and all this other stuff and getting the message out. So, I mean, to some degree, should conservatives be on it more? so that Democrats don't control the marketplace on TikTok and, you know, don't control the ideas and and the news that young people are saying. And so that's kind of, and I don't know what the right answer is, to be perfectly honest. So this, I mean, the right answer would be, you know, TikTok's bad. It's controlled by China. We should get rid of it. But there's also the logical side of that's probably not going to happen. So then do we just cede this ground completely to Democrats and allow them to have full access to the youth and we're not on there?
1: Yeah, it's. I mean, it's the Vivek Ramaswamy Nikki Haley uh, question, right? And the the debate that they've been having about this. Uh, I, I think it's it's a, a tough question. I mean, I I firmly come down on the side of. Ban TikTok, and, and, and Heritage has staked out that position. So you won't find find myself or or any of our uh, our brands on on the platform. But I definitely hear the perspective that that you share, and I have others uh, who I know who are conservatives who engage on the platform exactly for the reason you articulated. They don't want to cede that ground to the left.
0: I mean, I'm not on there, but I I just I, I guess I wouldn't criticize Republican candidates if they get on it because I, I do think that. You know, that is right territory to try to get turnout. But I I understand that uh you know, I understand that it's controlled by China and what they're trying to do with it, right? And so, you know, I don't know. It's it's sort of a, an interesting place to be in, I guess, with it.
1: Yeah. Let's talk about some of those issues that Republican candidates might be might be talking about in in the months to come as we enter a presidential election year in 2024. Um are there particular topics that you feel conservatives are doing a good job talking to voters about right now and others that they could use
0: some help on. Well, I mean, I think that obviously tapping into the economy, right? Because it's one of those things. I mean, Democrats are really good at gaslighting and they're very good at having like um so Jesse Kelly is a, a friend of mine and I wish I could take credit for this cuz it's so good, but I can't cuz it's his, but he has this uh this guy is green thing that he does he talks about and so basically his whole premise is that if joe biden went out and gave a speech that the sky was green and that you would then have like lebron james coming out and being like the skies is green buy my favorite nike you would have Hollywood going out and the sky would be green and all the movies you'd have, uh, you know, scientists coming out and saying, actually, we've just done recent surveys or studies. And, you know, the sky this sky is actually green scientific. Right. And it's like so Democrats just have this echo chamber where we saw it during COVID. It's it's everywhere. Right. Oh, it's, it is. Yeah. It's the media. It's academia. It's, it's it's everything. It's Hollywood. It's athletes. And and so they're able to lie. And so I think the economy is one of those things where as much as they want to tell us things are going well, people know it's not, you know, and they know it's not because they're feeling the pit, the pinch financially, they're going to buy gas. They're seeing how high gas prices were. And it, it was previously, you know, much less, right. They're, they're they're knowing that they're having to put things on credit cards that they didn't previously have to do. And so it is one of those areas where as much as Joe Biden's going to go out there and try to sell Bidenomics as if somehow it's helping people, people know it's not. And so I, I do think that is at least one issue where, you know, it is tangible to say that this is not working, right? There's no amount of lies and spin that's going to convince people that the economy is going well when everyone is feeling it. To some, and everyone is feeling inflation, you know, yeah. everyone is feeling the pain to some degree. Now, there's varying degrees, but to some degree.
1: Yeah, no, that's that's so true. Um, when you were talking about the the left's echo chamber. Uh, it, it raised in my mind, I, I think you're absolutely right on the economy. That it, that seems to be an issue where, where Biden is at, at a deficit and, uh, and and really needs to um, recalibrate because Bidenomics was a complete failure and a dud. But uh, on a foreign policy issue, one of the things that's alarming to me, at least after the initial six weeks or so, it seems that the, the left and the media and academia are starting to turn on Israel. Um, in a very aggressive way, and and I wonder your thoughts on this recent pause uh, in 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 fighting uh, the the release of hostages, and what your, uh, you what your own observations are about how the media narrative is maybe shaping U.S. policy from the White House on down.
0: Well, and, and real quick, I also think on the social issues, it's important too because I I, don't, I think the majority of Americans, whatever however they come down on like trans issues and things like that, they don't want their teacher being the one telling their child that little Johnny can be Mary or, you know, Mary, little Mary can be John, right? They, they want to be the ones in control. And so I do think, you know, education and putting parents in charge of that child's future is an important matter. So I don't think we should shy away from the social issues as well. But yeah, I, I remember, so I, I was actually co-hosting the weekend the terror attacks happened. Um, I was doing the big show on Saturday, and we did expanded uh, coverage on Sunday for two hours. And I remember saying that one of my concerns was that Israel was not only going to have to fight a war, but a propaganda war. And we're, we're already seeing that, you know, and, and you see with Joe Biden, I think he's looking at the politics of this. And it was the day after there was that Reuters poll that had him at 17 percent with Arab Americans. And I think that there, he got something like 69 percent of the Muslim vote in 2020 or something like that. And you look at a state like Michigan and there's 242 Muslim adherents. And so it was a day after that 17 percent that he came out and was like, "Oh, this is we're a national strategy to fight Islamophobia," and now you know he can't con, he can't condemn anti-Semitism without also bringing up Islamophobia because I, I think he's concerned about the politics. So, so my concern about this pause is that it, it's going to make it, and then I, I guess there now now, now it's, there's going to be a couple additional, I think, an extra two days or, or whatever. They're expanding the the ceasefire, and my concern is it's just going to be harder, just from a common sense perspective of Israel to then re-engage in the way they were before after this pause. Because you already have, like, the international community against you. You have the media working against you. You're already fighting this propaganda war. And then, there you know, and, and so there's just going to be, I think, so much pressure for things to stay like this versus Israel doing, you know, completing their overall objective, which was to eradicate Hamas. So I just, I worry a little bit that... Um, you know, Hamas is wisely and smartly using this as a, a PR move, and that's why they took the hostages to begin with.
1: I, I think you're right, and I, and if Israel is committed to seeing that through, it's it it is not going to end this week. I mean, there this will require as as uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu has said, months, if not years, of uh, of work on the part of Israel to to finish the job.
0: Well, and imagine, I mean, how. Just insanely frustrating it would be to be Israel. And you have the most Jews slaughtered in a single day since the Holocaust. You have babies that were beheaded. You have women who are raped next to the bodies of their dead friends at a concert, completely unarmed, They're just there to, you know, have fun with their friends. Uh, you know, rampage these villages. I mean, just complete, utter atrocities, right? And then you have the media. Questioning what happened that day, questioning the beheading of babies. Oh, were they beheaded, or just somehow their heads magically? I mean, this was there. There were fact checks going on, but oh, were they beheaded, or just you know how did their heads fall? Right, just ridiculous stuff. So much so that Israel felt compelled to have a viewing of forty three minutes of the atrocities with the media, just to be like, this happened. And then the me- that same media is willing to then push the Ministry of Health from the Gazan Ministry of Health which is Hamas because Hamas is the body of government over Gaza just willing to push out whatever numbers they're they're given about deaths there so Israel has to confirm things that these Hamas terrorists then videotape themselves and put out to the public but then the media's you know fully just pushing out Hamas propaganda unquestioningly with without question and it's just i mean it's just disgusting
1: you know i was reading a report about some of the frustrations that exist within the Biden administration, specifically with the pro-Palestinian element that that exists apparently within his administration. And Biden, you'll remember, questioned the death toll that the Palestinians uh, had, had put out. And apparently that created... What has been described as lasting damage, and Biden went on to apologize uh, to some of these these individuals for for making that statement. And it just goes to show the what you described as the the propaganda effort and the and the the persuasion tactics that are, are being used against him. Um, you know, we could be critical of Joe Biden, but he he from the very start was very pro-Israel, and it seems that as time has gone on, he's caved to some of that pressure. You mentioned uh, this uh, effort on Islamophobia. You know, we see the um, some of the polling numbers that seem to be persuading him to go in a different direction. So, yeah, it's um, it's definitely frustrating. I want to stick, though, to the the point you made about the media. As somebody who's been in media, on TV, does it seem that things are worse today <laughs> than they've been in your experience?
0: Yeah, and I feel like we've just... I feel like we've just lost common sense, period. That's a good way of putting it, yeah. As a country and a society where, you know, facts don't matter. I mean, even you know, staying on this, but also still in the Israel issue. I mean, I remember I was on after, uh, you know, Paul Kessler's death and he um is Jewish, was killed in California by, and it's not really even pro-Palestinian, it's really pro-Hamas because even the Palestinians, well, first of all, you know, they elected Hamas into power in 2006. Uh, Hamas is the body of government. And then secondly, there's been polling that has showed that a majority of Palestinians throughout certain times have supported Hamas. I mean, you you look at some of these videos, and Palestinians are you know cheering in the streets, partaking in some of the atrocities again. So it, I I don't know how much daylight there really is between like the average Palestinian and Hamas, to be perfectly honest. But uh, anyways, you you look at some of the media coverage of Paul Kessler, and they're like the media is blaming the sidewalk, as if somehow I didn't know sidewalks were so murderous and anti Semitic. You know, it, it's just it it just defies. I just I, I think we're really just a society and it extends to the media as well of cowardice, uh, a lack of common sense, you know, probably just an intentional lying um, and just no morality. Like there's no wrong versus right anymore. Well, let me um, end on this point, because you,
1: you told me before the the interview that authenticity was so important. Um, and that's what the, Amer- the American people, fortunately, can <laughs> turn up their BS detector and figure this out. Well, it just so happens that Merriam-Webster said that the word of the year for 2023 is authentic. Now, they attribute it in some cases to AI and the fact that, you know, it's very difficult to (laughs) determine what's authentic. But I think it could be viewed in in a number of different ways, even going back to our COVID conversation and who who was authentic and telling the truth and who was pushing an agenda. Um, Why is authenticity so important in politics and media today?
0: Because I think trust is important. And I don't think you can have trust without authenticity, right? Because you're not going to trust someone who you feel like doesn't actually believe the things they're saying. And so I think those two things kind of go hand in hand. Um, you know, and I think we kind of live in, in a, you know, increasingly superficial world maybe too. And so I think authenticity and look, we're all guilty of it, right? Like I work in television. I care about how I look like I'm not, you know, I'm I'm, I'm guilty of it as well. Um So I think authenticity is important in just this increasingly kind of pretend, make-believe world we live in where everyone's sort of painting this perfect picture of, oh, my life's so great. And, you know, when it's not, like we all have challenges, you know, it's not always perfect, right? Um, So I think, yeah, I think people crave a little bit of wanting to really believe that, you know, if someone's out there talking about something that, you know, like they're actually doing it behind the scenes, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, thank you for that answer.
1: Um, Lisa, what's the best way for our listeners to follow you and uh, keep tabs on what you're doing?
0: Yeah, please. Um, So I never know when I'm going to be on TV, so it's a little bit hard. It's kind of just all over the place. I don't know my life is just chaos. There's no schedule. But uh, you can follow me on Twitter uh, and Instagram at LisaMarieBooth, and I I try to do my best of pushing out when I'm going to be on air, at least for TV. And then for my podcast, It's The Truth with Lisa Booth, and you can find it anywhere you get podcasts, uh, you know, Apple, Spotify, all of it, um, and would obviously appreciate people subscribing and taking a listen to that, so... Well,
1: we'll be sure to leave a link to that and your social media p- uh, platforms in uh, the show notes. We appreciate you spending time with The Daily Signal today, and uh, thanks for being a friend. Uh, Thank it's, uh, you. It's, it's
0: great to be on with yeah, you. Right. It's great to be in person, too. It is. It's so much better. That you-
1: <laughs> <laughs> it certainly is. Lisa Booth, again, a host of The Truth with Lisa Booth and a Fox News contributor. Uh, we appreciate you being here and wish you the best in this holiday season. Thank you. And that'll do it for today's episode. Thank you for listening to The Daily Signal podcast. And be sure to check out our evening show right here in this podcast feed, where we bring you the top news of the day. Also, make sure you subscribe to The Daily Signal wherever you prefer to listen. And help us reach more listeners by leaving a five-star rating and review. We appreciate all of your feedback. Thanks again for listening and have a great day. We'll be back with you at 5 p.m. with our top news edition.